If only we could go back to the early church. If only we could roll back the years and get back to the days of the New Testament or or shortly after. Uh, As we thought this morning, you'll often hear people say that. But actually all the problems, all the frustrations, all the disappointments we can have when it comes to church, they were all there in the early church in one form or another. And in the New Testament we are warned by by two of the main characters that, that one of the realities of life in the church is going to be false teaching. Uh, not just a problem for the church in our day, but a problem for the church throughout the ages, back even into Old Testament times. When the Apostle Paul leaves the the Ephesian elders for the last time on on that beach, as he he kneels with them and weeps with them and prays with them, he he tells them that after his departure, fierce wolves are going to come in among them, not sparing the flock. But here, or here as well, Peter in verse 1 tells us that false prophets, just as they arose in the Old Testament, so there will be false teachers now in the New Testament. As we've worked through the book of Acts together, we've seen how Peter and Paul are the two main characters in human terms, such key men in the early church. And they both warned those they ministered to that false teachers were coming. And in doing so, of course, they were were simply following the example of Jesus, who said, beware of false prophets. And in fact, Peter here devotes a whole chapter, uh, the whole of chapter 2, to the subject of false teachers. And soberingly, Peter tells us that these false teachers will lead many astray. Uh, their, their coming is certain and the damage that they will do is certain as well. Uh, and that's what we're going to be thinking about from these first three verses tonight. Uh, the, the certainty of their coming and what they will look like when they do come. But what is also certain is that they will be condemned. Uh, and that's what we'll come back to next time, God willing. Uh, We see that in verses 4 through 10 and beyond. Uh, But tonight we're thinking about the the certainty and the reality of false teachers. So, so, So two points tonight. Firstly, you can be certain that false teachers will come. You can be certain that false teachers will come. There are many things that God's word guarantees that bring brings joy to our souls. It guarantees salvation for any who put their faith in Jesus Christ. His word tells us that we can be certain of heaven when we die as believers. God's word guarantees that a day is coming when all injustice will be put right. And these certainties give us solid ground to stand on. They reassure us that despite whatever we are facing right now, that in the end all will be well. But there are also some things that the Bible guarantees us that we probably would rather weren't the case. Such as the fact that we're told in Acts 14, we looked at at it not too long ago, Acts 14, that through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of God. 
If there was the option of entering the kingdom of God without tribulations, would you take it? It would be pretty attractive, but we're not given that option. Tribulations are guaranteed. Something else the Bible guarantees, which we probably would rather it didn't, are false teachers. Imagine you could take everyone who claimed to be bringing you God's message at face value. Imagine you could watch any YouTube video tagged Christian and just drink it all in and not engage your critical faculties at all. Imagine that church members and particularly elders never had to be on their guard that a false teacher might come through their doors one week. If that was offered to us, most of us would take it. Yet God in his wisdom has not ordained it that way. Normally when we say that someone in their infinite wisdom has decided something, we we usually mean that that we don't think they're they're very wise at all. But but God really is infinite in wisdom and he has ordained it this way. And that's not just something that he had ordained for, for the early church. It's not that false teachers were guaranteed for them, but not for us. We're to take those words of verse 1 as applying to us just as much as to them. There will be false teachers among you. Peter doesn't tell us here why there will be false teachers among God's people. He just tells us the simple fact that there will be false teachers. But God always has good and wise reasons for the things he does even if they're things that we wouldn't choose. And while we're not told here why false teachers will come, we are given at least some reasons in other parts of Scripture. For example, one reason that God sends false teachers is in order to show whether we really love him or not. Peter starts this chapter by drawing a direct connection between the false teachers of his day or that were, that were due to come with the false prophets of the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy 13, Moses tells us that one reason false prophets come is because the Lord their God would be testing them to know whether they loved him with all their heart and their soul. Uh, and no matter how impressive the false prophet was, no matter whether they were able to do great signs and wonders or not, if the people listened to them and went after other gods, it, it would have shown where their hearts really were. Uh, and it's the same for us. If we listen to someone who is telling us the opposite of what the Bible says, then it shows where our hearts are really at. Another reason that God sends false prophets is, uh, as the covenanter Alexander Nisbet puts it, so that he may make his truth more clear and lovely to his own people. God sends false prophets in order that he may make his truth more clear and lovely to his own people. A jeweler will show you a ring against a black background. And against that background, it will shine and glisten all the more. And against the soul-destroying darkness of false teaching, the true gospel shines out all the more. 
A related reason why God sends false teachers is, is surely to drive us to his word. Peter has finished his last chapter by talking about the Bible as a light that shines in a dark place. But a constant temptation that God's people face is to neglect the Bible. But, but what does teaching that sounds a bit off do? What, what should it do? Well, surely it drives us to the Word of God to see whether it's right or not. If, if someone says something, we thought, well, I've never, never thought about that before, or I'm not quite sure if that's right. It, it, it should drive us to the Word of God. And anything that drives us to our Bibles is a good thing. Anything that drives us to our Bibles is a good thing. It may not be good in and of itself, but the, the result is good. If there weren't any false teachers and we could just uh, accept at face value anything that a so-called Christian teacher said, then we wouldn't need to be like the Bereans in Acts 17 who, who searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Another reason that, that we're given elsewhere in scripture in 2 Thessalonians 2 is that God sends false teachers to punish those who refuse to love the truth. Paul says there that because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so they may believe what is false. Not to believe the truth when you have opportunity to do so is always a very dangerous thing. It is to provoke God, to, to sit under truth, to, to read truth, to, uh, to, to have people speak truth into your life and, and to know it's true uh, and yet to, to, to not believe it. That is, that is one of the most dangerous things that you can do. It's to provoke God. Uh, and one way God might punish someone for that is by sending false teachers so that having refused to believe what is true when they had the opportunity, that, that now they would believe what is false. And is that not something that we see on, on a society-wide level at the moment? People have refused to believe the truth. They've refused and refused and refused. And what's the result? Well, people are now believing lies absurd lies like the lie that the only difference between us and monkeys is a few billion years or, or the lie of transgenderism transgenderism is so obviously and blatantly false it flies in the face of the evidence of our own senses and yet having rejected the truth people are taken in by obvious lies Things that the children know are lies. Maybe you say, what does that have to do with false prophets? Well, just this past week at the Globe Theatre in London, which is the, the reconstruction of Shakespeare's theatre, uh, they shared and then quickly deleted a, a video clip from a play by Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc, who was a Christian martyr, and yet this is a transgender propaganda play. A part of the clip includes the words, trans people are sacred, we are divine. And that is demonic. That is a demonic religion. Having refused to love the truth and so be saved, God has sent a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. 
So why send false teachers? Why does God allow false teachers to come? Well, in God's wisdom, it is a good thing if it drives us to Scripture. It is a good thing if it makes God's truth clearer and more lovely to us when we see what the alternative is. But the presence of false teachers can also be God's punishment on those who have refused to believe the truth. And how many false teachers are there in pulpits, uh, uh, in towns and villages across Scotland? Because previous generations have refused to believe the truth when they had the opportunity and they knew it was true and yet they rejected it. And now they have people who proclaim lies and they love to have it so. So firstly tonight, you can be certain that false teachers will come. And they have come and they are among us. They're in our communities. They're across our land. But then secondly, what do false teachers look like? Uh, because it's important that if, if these are, are sheep in, or wolves in sheep's clothing, that it's important to, to be able to identify them. So secondly tonight, what do false teachers look like? Because they, they, don't, they don't come with a badge saying that they're false teachers. Well, well the Mormons do, but um, mo- most others don't. It's important to emphasize that the false teachers Peter is talking about here are professing Christians. He says in verse 1, There will be false teachers among you. Just as Paul told the Ephesian elders, From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Peter goes on to to tell us in these verses in front of us that these false teachers will deny the master who bought them. And who is the master who bought them? Well, well, it's Jesus. As as Paul tells us a a number of times in 1 Corinthians, as Christians, we're those who've been bought with a price. That's what it is to be redeemed. So does that mean that these false teachers are Christians? Christians who who then lose their salvation because of what they do. Well, we know from the rest of Scripture that that it's not possible for a true Christian to lose their salvation. The Father has given a specific number of people to the Son. And Jesus tells us that all the Father gives him will come to him. So Peter can't be talking about those who have truly been bought by Jesus Christ. But he's talking about those who claim to have been bought by Jesus, who claim to have been redeemed by him. He's talking about those who look for all the world like they have been bought by him. But in the end it turns out that they haven't. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And that tells us that we won't see false teachers coming. Boys and girls, you know the story of the three little pigs. Uh, There's a version of it that we listen to in the car quite a lot. Uh, And in that version, when the wolf goes to the first little piggy's house, do you know what he does? He he dresses up as a sheep. And why does he do that? Why would the wolf dress up as a sheep? Well, because he knows that that little pig isn't going to open the door to a wolf. But if the pig thinks it's a sheep, the pig will open the door and let him in. 
And boys and girls, Jesus tells us that sometimes in the church there will be people who are actually wolves, but who will dress up like sheep. They're wolves because they want to hurt people by telling them things that aren't true, but they won't come to church and say, hello, I'm a wolf. Rather, they'll say, I'm a sheep, I'm just like you. But they're not sheep, they're wolves. They're just pretending to be sheep. And brothers and sisters, we need to take that seriously. It's pretty easy to to spot the prosperity preachers in their private jets. We can spot them a mile away, though maybe not everyone can. But picture, for example, a nice, well-dressed family who come into church with with well-behaved children. Uh, They they come in, they join, it's all really encouraging. Over time, they become particularly close to others in the church. And perhaps the, the dad of the family starts to question some of the things that the rest of the congregation have always believed. He, he doesn't do it publicly, but, but you know some of the men are, are around and they're chatting. Uh, and, and he starts to question some things. And it all sounds really convincing. Uh, and they know that he, he's read so many books. He, he's well educated. And, and perhaps he doesn't criticise the minister directly. After all, he says, it's not the minister's fault that he's teaching you these things. He, he's just repeating what he's been taught. And that scenario, it happens so easily. It has happened in churches like ours. And yet, what's the man doing? What's he doing to that congregation of God's people? He, he's exploiting them. He, he's leading them astray. He, he's, he's gathering disciples after him. He's preparing the ground for a split. Verse 3, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. And notice the motivation there. What is it? It's greed. Verse 3. That might be greed for reputation. It might be greed for status. Greed for power. Greed for people to look up to him. Or quite simply greed for money. Only the day of judgment will reveal how many ministers have preached the true gospel out of greed. Uh, Those who, as Paul tells us in Philippians, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. And if there are many who will proclaim the, the true gospel out of selfish ambition... If they will proclaim a message that that isn't popular in a lot of circles out of selfish ambition. How many are there who will proclaim a false gospel out of selfish ambition? A a gospel that's more likely to to please the lowest common denominator. So what might this look like today? I've given given one example. Here's another one. Not too long ago there was a debate at the University of Cambridge between an atheist and a a Christian. Representing the Christian position was an ordained Church of England minister. Uh, And in the debate the minister made a good case for how reasonable and rational it is to believe in Christianity. But he, he didn't get much into the actual evidence for Christianity. Uh, and during the question and answer session, a, a Christian in the audience asked him a question about the, the proofs of the resurrection. 
giving him an open goal, as it were, expecting the Christian minister to use it as an opportunity to speak about all the the overwhelming proof there is for the resurrection, Uh, perhaps to speak about those who've looked into the resurrection and tried to disprove it, but ended up being convinced by it. But in answering the question, the minister made a comment along the lines... Now, when we talk about the resurrection, we don't mean that Jesus uh, literally came back to life again, of course. We, we, we mean a, a spiritual resurrection. And in discussing it afterwards, some Christians apparently thought the debate went quite well. And yet, what had happened? That Church of England minister had been paid to go along and defend the Christian faith. Uh, and what had he done? He had, in the words of verse 1 here, proclaimed a destructive heresy. He had denied the bodily resurrection of Christ. The bodily resurrection of Christ is the fourth of the 39 articles of the Church of England, which, which say what, which are what Church of England ministers have to sign up to. This man had signed up to this. I believe in the bodily resurrection, but he didn't really believe in it. And yet, rather than proclaim the doctrine that he had signed up to believe and proclaim, he proclaimed heresy. And it's called here in verse 1, not just heresy, but destructive heresy. Why destructive heresy? Well, quite simply because it destroys. It destroys both those who teach it and those who believe it. What you believe is that important. It's not just wrong living that damns people to hell. It's wrong belief. It's not just wrong living, but wrong belief. Whatever the the worst sin you can imagine is, the, the worst, vilest, most repulsive action that someone could commit. If someone commits that and doesn't repent, are they going to hell? Yes, of course. But, but what about a nice, pleasant gentleman, uh, personable, mild-mannered, reliable, trustworthy, uh, charitable? If they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, will they go to hell? Yes, because to say that he only rose spiritually is a destructive heresy. Error can bring damnation to the souls of people just as much as the vilest sin in the world. Error can bring damnation to the souls of people just as much as the vilest sin in the world, uh, the vilest action in the world. And living in the UK where, where ministers in the mainline churches routinely teach error without anyone blinking an eye, we have to be realistic about where many church people are going They may be an elder in their church, they may be in the the women's guild, they may be as concerned about the state of the world in many ways as we are, and yet they have been taught error from the pulpit, they have believed that error rather than the truth, and as a result their damnation is just as certain as if they had committed the vilest sins. And yet it's also true that there is a direct link between wrong teaching and wrong living. Uh, These things are are rarely, if ever, completely separate categories. Verse 2 says that many will follow these false teachers. 
That's the sad reality of it. It doesn't mean that being in the minority guarantees that you're somehow in the right simply by being in the minority. It doesn't mean that every megachurch pastor is a false teacher. But 45,000 people go to hear Joel Osteen every week. 45,000 people. God's word tells us many will follow and many do follow. But to come back to the link between wrong teaching and wrong living. It's interesting that verse 2 doesn't say many will follow their teaching. Because that's what we would expect. Always look out for those little phrases in the Bible that, that aren't what you would expect. Verse 1 has told us there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And so we might expect verse 2 to say, how, how would you complete the sentence, verse 2? Well, we'd expect it to say that many will follow their teaching. But, but it doesn't say many will follow their teaching. It says many will follow their sensuality. The word translated sensuality means to do what is unacceptable, especially sexually. Uh, it's used down in verse 7 to describe a lot uh, uh, and what was going on what he saw going on in Sodom and Gomorrah so sensuality many will follow their false teachers but many will follow not their false teaching though they will follow that but they'll follow their sensuality their, their, their open sin particularly sexual sin I'm sure that there have been those who fought those who've taught false teaching and their character outwardly at least has been blameless. But almost always wrong doctrine and wrong living go together. Uh, well, well, well they, they always do in some way or another. Uh, but, but soon wrong doctrine will be followed by outward wrong living, open wrong living. And do we not see that in the mainline churches in the UK, the, the Church of England, the Church of Scotland, the Scottish Episcopal Church? Is it any surprise that once they deny key doctrines of the Christian faith, that it's not long before they will openly tolerate and even bless all sorts of sexual sin? It's no surprise at all. False teachers in many cases teach wrongly because they want to live wrongly. They start off with how they want to live and then they change their, their doctrine uh, to try and justify uh, how they want to live or, or perhaps that they're already secretly living wrongly uh, and they want to come up with some way to justify it. And in fact the big message of Second Peter is that what you believe, uh, particularly what you believe about the end of the world, will affect how you live now. If you don't believe in the bodily return of Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead, well, well then you, you will live very differently than if you did believe that. You, if, if you don't believe in that, you'll live however you like, uh, at least to the extent that society will let you. And what is the result of all this in verse 3? Well, sorry, at the end of verse 2, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The way of truth will be blasphemed. 
Uh, Peter is likely quoting here uh, not just from Psalm 119 but also from Isaiah 52 5 uh, a verse Paul quotes in Romans where he says the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you and haven't you heard people say in the wake of a scandal involving a church or a professing Christian well if that's how Christians live the false teaching justifies the lifestyle and the unbelievers around us, unbelievers aren't bothered by the false teaching, but they notice the lifestyle. Unbelievers, they aren't bothered by the false teaching, but they notice the lifestyle. And what do they say? Well, they say, that's Christians for you. They notice the lifestyle. They say, that's Christians for you. So false teachers and false teaching, if it's not detected, if it's not rooted out, it's hugely damaging for a congregation or denomination of God's people. And yet the, the nuclear fallout goes wider than, than the congregation or denomination, doesn't it? The, the shrapnel from the explosion remains embedded in a community for decades. And people don't forget what that minister did, what that outstanding apparently Christian believer had been doing all those years some people can treat detecting false teachers almost as a game as a challenge in their spare time perhaps that they go heresy hunting perhaps for prideful reasons they want to be able to list off all those who are who are false teachers but hearing of false teaching should absolutely devastate us because you can guarantee that false teaching will lead to false living and that false living will lead to the way of truth being blasphemed and it will be used as a reason by some not to put their trust in Jesus Christ and that is devastating. And yet, uh, as the end of verse 3 reassures us, as we'll go on to look at in more detail next time, false teachers will be condemned for what they've done. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Uh, their condemnation is not idle. From long ago, it means God has, has promised that condemnation long ago, and, and God will carry out his threats. And their destruction is not asleep. Why? Because the Lord never slumbers or sleeps, which is great news for the believer, but not so much for the unbeliever. For now, though, the presence of false teachers grieves us, and it should grieve us. Uh, we shouldn't be, be triumphalist when we see perhaps other denominations, false teaching. We say, well, you know... Uh, we, we told you so, you know, maybe we did tell them so, but, but we are grieved because the false teaching will lead to false living and the false, li the false teaching in and of itself will send people to hell and the false living will lead to the gospel being uh, despised and the name of Jesus being blasphemed. And yet God has good purposes in what he allows, even if we can't always see it. That's true in every area of life, not just when it comes to false teachers. And maybe that's simply the reminder that you need to hear tonight. 
Uh, false teachers perhaps are not particularly on your radar at the moment. They're not particularly troubling you. You just need the reminder that in every area of life, God has good purposes in what he allows. And that is the case as well with false teachers. One day their condemnation will come. And until that day, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The master who bought us at the cost of his life. The one who doesn't want to exploit us with false words, but who wants to heal us with true words. False teachers want to exploit you with false words. Jesus wants to heal you with true words. He sent out his word and healed them. What false teaching does above all is undermine the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Who he is and what he came to do. And so what's the best thing that we can do in the face of false teaching all around us? Well surely it's to study and to value the person and work of the Lord Jesus all the more. That is the best inoculation against false teaching. And if the reality of false teachers drives us to value the person and work of the Lord Jesus more, then that is a good thing. Amen. Well, those closing words of our passage tells us that the destruction of false teachers is not asleep. And that is because he who keeps Israel neither slumbers or sleeps. And we're going to sing praise now in words that tell us that from Psalm 121. Psalm 121, the A version, on page 318, uh, to the tune French 88. Psalm 121A, page 318, tune French 88. Verse 2, second half of the verse. And see or behold, he who keeps Israel, he slumbers not nor sleeps. And in the the presence of false teachers or, or knowing of the reality of false teachers, how we can be grateful for a God who will keep us from them. The Lord who keeps you is your shade, the Lord's at your right arm. The sun will not you strike by day, by night the moon won't harm. And so let's let the reality of false teachers drive us all the more to our keeping God and the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Psalm 121a will stand the same praise. <laughs>